You never know who you're going to see. I beat one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. It's timing. It's right for time. the clenching goal to bring the trophy back. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. They're desperate because they don't have opportunity. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime, show them things they wouldn't normally see. The truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Welcome to Open Mic Home Edition. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Mike. How are you? Great. Welcome to the show. Today, we have Patty Lynch, who is from the Lynch and Sons Funeral Directors. You may have heard that name. It's one of the largest family-owned and operated funeral firms in the country, tracing back to 1948. He is a third-generation family member at Lynch and Sons. He's been doing this for 12 years before that. He was a star football player at Boston College. So let's welcome Patty Lynch to the show. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, Patty. Hey, thanks for being here. I know you're busy. Yeah, very busy. I appreciate the introduction, too. Perfectly exaggerated. <laughs> Those are very nice. Thank you. I made up the star thing. I don't know how many times <laughs> you actually played. I did all right. I played, I played some ball. Well, I know you and I have met in the past. We've never really dove into, you know, what you do or how you do it at the yeah. funeral home. Um, I know you have seven locations across Michigan and do a really good job for people, but it's got to be hard with the overwhelming number of people who are dying because of coronavirus. So why don't you take us through what is happening right now? We're watching the news. We're watching the mass burials. We're watching people not be able to be with their loved ones in the hospitals. We're watching funerals not happen. And just take us through it. No problem. I'll take I'll take you through it as best I can. Um, as you know, things seem to be changing on a daily basis um, when it comes to all of our activities as as a as a society and as a community. And funerals are obviously a big part of that. Um, we've basically, as of today, um, been been brought down to ten people or less in the funeral home, um, basically to say a very very brief goodbye to someone or perhaps a brief uh, religious ceremony so someone can be blessed before they're buried or cremated. Um, up until recently, um, 50 was sort of the number uh, going around. We had already uh, begun to enforce 10 people or less. And really, a lot of families are taking it upon themselves for good reason to say, you know, just a few of us are going to come over for a couple minutes. Um and this is tremendously difficult, not only for the families that we're serving, but for us as funeral directors. Um, our whole lives have been devoted for generations to uh, facilitating, you know, events and uh, ceremonies that help people heal and help people come together, help people let go. Um, and this is important stuff psychologically, culturally, spiritually, and and for people to be so limited. Um, it's really, it's surreal. It's, it's heartbreaking. Um, at the same time, you see, you know, our vision sort of crystallizes and we see what's really, really important. And I've seen some beautiful moments of people letting go in private when normally they'd have a, a big crowd to support them. Um, so, you know, you take the good with the bad and we've been taking it one day at a time um, and trying to support each other and keep, keep ourselves healthy and safe 
while we serve the living and the dead. Yeah, boy, you think of just you go to one of these services, a funeral or a wake, and it's all about giving somebody a hug when they need it the most and this personal contact. And and, and now you're being told you, you can't even go and, 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 and you still have to social distance while you're there. Uh, just emotionally, at, at the worst time of your life, it's just like another uh, punch to the gut. And I, I'm sure it's been trying for you at best. It has. And, you know, I mean, there's an old cliche, um, joy shared as joy increased, grief shared as grief diminished. There's a lot of truth to it. And there's a reason why human beings for thousands upon thousands of years have been getting get, getting together to to either bury or cremate the dead uh, with with some dignity and with some ceremony and to have all of that stripped nearly um it's it's really something to behold it really is and uh we have been trying to support families as much as we can give them as much as we can um but families have also been incredibly understanding i mean people know that this is um you know this is a communal effort to try to keep you know public health um, at the forefront of everyone's uh, concern. Yeah, let's try to put this in perspective. So I know that we're not New York. Right. We don't have the the thousands and thousands of, of deaths there. But I read before we came on that there's been already 54 deaths in the city of Detroit alone, not including Wayne County, Oakland County, Macomb County. And I know you're located in Clawson. So first yeah. of all, are you seeing an increase in demand from your facility in Clawson and then talk about your seven, uh, you know, your six other um, buildings, locations. Be it, locations, because then I want to talk about New York and what yeah. we're seeing there. And, and is that a possibility of happening here? Yeah, good questions. Um, you know, our location here is probably, um, you know, the closest to the city of Detroit. I live in the city of Detroit. That's where we're seeing a lot of um, fatalities and um I think the whole system, just the way the whole healthcare system um, and all the governmental systems that are trying to provide unemployment benefits to folks and everything, everyone is overwhelmed, including funeral directors and funeral homes. So we've received calls from folks that we might not have normally served who said, you know, the funeral home we, we usually call or the cremation society that we would have called, they just, they can't handle it. They're overwhelmed. Can you help us? And thank God so far, we've been able to help everyone that's called. Um, but everyone's, you know, dealing with it in their, in their own way. Um, you know, you've got some firms that typically serve such an enormous volume that to take on more than what they normally do is overwhelming. And then you've got firms that are so small that are already kind of small staffed and, and now they're probably even less staffed because there are certain people that maybe have gotten sick or older folks that work for the funeral home that are vulnerable themselves. So um, no one I think has figured out the perfect formula because there isn't one. We're all just trying to do the best we can day to day. Do you talk, are you, are you in connection with people in Detroit? Because that seems to have, you know, that's our largest, um, fatality that those are, that's where the largest amount of fatalities are right now are they are the detroit funeral homes from what you hear able to keep up or are those uh, is that where the overflow is coming from? from what i've heard i i i'm i'm guessing um that 
some of the Detroit firms are the most overwhelmed at this time. Um, I I can't confirm it for sure, but I've heard I've heard rumors of some firms having you know up to sixty or seventy uh, decedents in their building um, at a time. Um, what's a typical, do you know how, how big are these, these funeral homes don't seem like they can handle that much. Yeah. I mean, at that point you're taking your, you know, your visitation rooms or your chapels just to basically hold people until they're buried or cremated. I mean, um, I, I, I just can't imagine. And, um, we ourselves here are, are understaffed and busier than ever. Um, I would say one of the only things that's a bit helpful when you're in a pandemic is that people are not able to gather and have two day visitations and big funerals at church and so forth, where you would need a lot of staff. So a smaller staff is able to handle more work at a time like this. I wish that weren't the case. Um, but you know, there's, there's a funeral home in nearly every town still across the United States and many, not all, but many are still family owned and operated. And you just have a lot of really, really good, devoted people out there. I mean, I think Metro Detroit is fortunate in that we've got a number of family-owned and operated um, funeral establishments that um, are doing are doing a really beautiful service to the community right now. Um, the Desmonds and the Sullivans are good friends of ours, the Wujaks, the Calcateras, and um, I've been in communication with these, with these guys. They're my friends, and um, everybody's doing the best they can. Is there, is there, have you been watching the news, what's been going on in New York? Yeah, as, as much as I can. So I'm, I'm not one of those news watchers, but yeah. you can't help. Today, New York Times, they're digging trenches in the, in some parks. Right. Um, where they are putting in white boxes, dozens and dozens and dozens of dead people in one big trench. Right. And I can't, and I, and I can't figure out the why, like are cemeteries running out of space? Are these people who, you know, had they died not in this situation, you know, they would have found, they would have had a normal funeral home or a normal funeral. I assume I'm not sure what's going on. Do you have so any clue? There's, there's a lot of moving parts and I don't want to pretend to be an expert in all aspects of this, especially what's taking place in New York. But really what happens is, you get a healthcare system that's totally overwhelmed and they have limited refrigeration and most funeral homes have little to no refrigeration. They might have refrigeration for a couple people. And um, at this point with the volume coming in, it's very difficult to keep a funeral home facility and all of the staff healthy. Um, if you're embalming all of these bodies and then trying to keep them in your facility Um I have, I'm totally torn. Um, I, I wish I could give some, you know, really strong um, uh, sense of conviction, but I think that everybody's trying to handle this as humanely as possible and with as much dignity as possible. And if the funeral homes don't have room and the morgues don't have room and the hospital refrigeration doesn't have room, and these are people that are very likely not being claimed, which is an issue, a major issue that we had in Wayne County a couple of years ago, um, that the Jewish fund and a number of funeral directors participated in, in getting these people buried uh, eventually with some dignity that were in that were in Wayne County more far too long, in some cases, a couple of years. So now you have a situation where you're in the middle of a pandemic and 
the, mo- the morgue is overflowing, what do you do? Um, cemeteries are understaffed. They're spreading out their burials because um, they don't want so much exposure at once and they don't have as much staff as typical. And then the crematories, you can only cremate so many people in a day individually. Um, and so, you know, I unprecedented times um, that, that we're seeing right now in the United States. So I'm going to ask a potentially naive question. No problem. And I've done that before and I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm good at those. <laughs> Are, is everybody who comes into the funeral home, if they're not being cremated, is there an embalming process that happens for every single one of them? No. Um, as you probably are aware, most Jewish folk, folks are not embalmed by religious rule. Uh, we serve a number of um, uh, Hindu uh, citizens here in the Troy area. Um, and if someone's going to be buried or cremated uh, either way relatively quickly, embalming is not necessary. Um, there are some funeral homes that have determined under these circumstances that no one is to be embalmed because you're not having public gatherings to see the dead a week after they've died. That's where I was going. Okay. That's, that's helpful. So that, so all those people in New York who are probably being buried in those mass graves, none of them have been embalmed going right from the hospital or right from the pickup place, almost to the ground. That would be my guess. That would be my guess. And that's, and that's what's taking place um, in most of southeastern Michigan as well, is my guess. My guess is that most people dying today, whether it's of COVID-19 or not, are not being embalmed. They are being uh, buried or cremated relatively quickly, um, as the Jews have been doing for generations, because, um, because you're, that's being happening pretty quickly. You don't need to embalm. Um, it would be different if we were planning a huge gathering for someone a week from today, then for sure you would embalm. Um, so right now it's as much about sadly efficiency and public health and the health of, you know, funeral um, directors and their staffs. So the CDC says that you can't, not catch COVID from someone who's passed away, but you can catch COVID from perhaps the clothes they're wearing, or if they had COVID, maybe their loved ones or family members have COVID as well, but aren't showing any signs. How do you go about being in your line of work and, and protect your, your employees and your workers? And, and how, how does that work with a, with a pandemic? Yeah. Um, well, I think if you look closely, this, the, a person who has died can certainly still have the virus. If they've been thoroughly embalmed and disinfected, then it's far less likely that they're going to be able to, um, you know, uh, uh, give the virus to somebody else. Um, but you know, that virus from what there's so many, there's so many unknowns. I mean, some people are thinking that the virus can live on, you know, metal and plastic services for up to three or four days. So they, it can certainly live in the lungs of someone who has died with the virus. Um, but you bring up a great point. Um, even if you could, and I think you can get it to the point where the dead body is no longer a danger, the people that would be coming in to, to view that person are the most vulnerable of the population because they've very likely been exposed to that person in the last week or two. 
So you've got this awful catch 22. Um, and that's why, you know, I think most funeral homes and funeral directors and families are realizing that the most dignified and decent thing to do um, is to get these people buried and cremated relatively quickly. And we've had, you know, I had a very, very good friend. Her grandfather died of the virus. We met out at, we met at the cemetery at the grave, um, had a prayer for him. He served in the military. The, the military is no longer providing funeral honors, but I had access to the flag. So I presented the flag to the eldest son and we did the best we could to, to give him, you know, a dignified and, and, you know, loving burial. Um, but this is, this is where we're at. I, I saw early on, and I don't know if it's a problem or not, you can probably help share some of this, but, but there were real concerns about uh, uh, people hoarding uh, bleach and, and, and cleaning supplies and masks and all of these things. And these are things that are crucial in, in, in your business, your line of work. Right. Uh, did you see shortages in the beginning? Are there shortages now? What, what's the current status for that? There are. Um, there are definitely shortages. And I mean, I do believe that uh, – you know, the doctors and the nurses are certainly the ones that should have access to it first, but we're definitely on the front lines. We're lucky in that our volume hasn't gotten so out of control and we were fairly well prepared that that we're OK. But I know of of certain uh, funeral directors and firms that are saying, oh, my God, I've you know, I've never had to reuse a mask 10 times. And here I am or I don't have an N95. I'm going to wrap a homemade mask around my, my face. Um, really incredible um, that we're, we're in this, um, in this way. But, um, you know, it, when I check in with my colleagues on nearly a daily basis, you know, everybody's, everybody's there at the front lines doing what they can and doing the best to serve families and give them as much, uh, as much dignity as, as possible. Can you put this, to, uh, Patty, in perspective for us about, so I think we've lost just over a thousand people in the state, most right. of them in our neck of the woods here. Sure. And we have, and that's just from COVID. We also have, of course, oh, yeah. hundreds of others dying uh, for other unrelated means. What is, what is the percentage increase that we're seeing right now uh, in deaths in Michigan. Do you guys keep track of those numbers? So it's funny, this came up in a, an interview last week and I said, you know, I'd be bullshitting you to tell you the, the exact number of people that died last year in Michigan. I really don't know. I can tell you that I have seen probably just here at our location, at least a 20% increase in volume. Um, and I think if you were in the city of Detroit, some firms would say we've doubled. Um, so you can see that the, the death rate is certainly spiking. I think it's also important to remember that, you know, the baby boomers are now entering the age where they're going to die in much larger numbers. Um, and we're, 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 we're right on the edge of that. My, um, my dad's one of nine children and my mother's one of 18 children. Holy um, holy. I know, right? Irish Catholic um, to the to the to the max, but I'm one of two, my sister and me. So I don't think that people fully appreciate that, regardless of a virus or a pandemic, 
the death rate is going to increase tremendously in the United States over the next 20 years. I also think that people don't take into consideration that when something like this happens and there's such social distancing and people don't have access to their elderly parents in assisted living or a nursing home, people will die in a, in more quickly um, than they would have um, precisely because we don't have the connections I, I've met. It's, it's just, it's heartbreaking. I've met with a few families already that said mom didn't have the virus, but we couldn't visit her for the last two weeks. And as soon as we stopped visiting her, her health really started to decline. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, Oh my God, you know, uh, insult. You don't even, I don't, you don't even think about that. That's those that's are things you don't even, yeah, that you don't even think about. And, um, and, uh, but you know, and the, you know, because it's, it's, it's a strange position for us to be in too as undertakers, because have we never seen anything quite like this? Sure. At the same time, we see dead people every day and we know that death occurs every day. And we've got months where we're not that busy and we've got months where we're overwhelmed because that's just the nature of our work. And so, you know, I do hope as strange as it sounds that this does open people's eyes. You know, when we think about how awful it is that so someone had to die alone or that only three people were able to attend their funeral, I can tell you that I've been to a number of nursing homes where that person died alone well before COVID-19. And I've, I've, you know, facilitated funerals where two people show up because that's all the person had. And I hope that if nothing else, this, um, causes us to be a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more gracious and a little bit more humane and a little bit more tender on, in how we look at each other and how we look at the most vulnerable um, among us. I mean, we know that many of the people who are dying in Detroit are those who were already vulnerable, um, their health and financially and otherwise. And so, um, you know, hopefully there's some good that will come out of, of this awful um, time we're experiencing. Yeah, you know, you got you were going around the neighborhood to see uh, who's elderly and who may need us to go shopping for them and those kinds of things. And you just think, well, why why didn't we always do that? Right. I mean, they, it might be dangerous for them to just get in the car and drive because they're elderly, uh, not right. because they catch COVID or something, you know. So I, I think to to your point, I, I, I think uh, – we will be better at that. I think we will look at everybody differently and and, and in a better light and try and be more helpful to people. Um, I, I just I, I think that is one of the silver linings that 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 can come out of something like this. I did want to ask you one one technical question. Yeah. Um, there's I know I don't know how this all works, but I know there's a lot of paperwork involved when when somebody dies and, and what can happen when and how. And I just wanted did the state step in and take away all those restrictions of getting a, a death certificate or a doctor signing off or those things? No, no. And I think this uh, and this is something I could have brought up when Mike was asking about New York. One of the reasons why you could see delays or why you could see them interring them temporarily is because, for example, in the state of Michigan, you know, the only way someone can be cremated and most people in Michigan are cremated, you know, 50 years ago, the cremation rate in the United States was less than 5%. Now it's probably over 60%. Wow. And we in the Midwest typically match the national average out West. You're as high as 80, 90% in some communities. The East coast is still 
lower, but still you might have 30 or 40% in Boston and New York. Um, at any rate in Michigan, um, when someone dies, they belong equally to their next of kin. So if they have a spouse, their husband or wife can authorize their cremation. If they've got six kids, four out of the six have to provide permission. And then the medical examiner has to approve every cremation that takes place in the county, because unlike burial, which you're seeing in New York, cremation is irreversible. You can't uncremate someone, but you can unbury someone. So typically the courts, when someone is unclaimed or they're not sure what's going on, they're not going to allow for a cremation. They'll far more likely allow for a burial. And so we still have to uh, get the next of kin to authorize cremations, get the medical examiner to authorize those cremations, make an appointment at the crematory because the crematory is a separate entity than we are. So there's still a number of things that have to get done. And when people are dying in a, in a, in a huge, you know, increase, the huge rate increase, it becomes all the more important that you can get those things done efficiently. Um, and that's really what so much of our work has been right now. It's not directing, you know, 300 person funerals in church or lining funeral processions. It's making sure that we can get people cremated and buried in a timely manner. Patty, um, as a lawyer, I'm seeing a lot of people calling for wills and trusts right now. Yeah. A lot of people are scared, want to prepare. Are you seeing an uptick in people wanting pre-planned funerals and pre-planned? What is the proper terminology for it? Yeah, well, there's, there's an important distinction. There's pre-planning a funeral and then there's pre-funding a funeral. Okay. And one of the issues over the years is that um, some of the conglomerates and corporations and publicly traded entities that have bought up the family owned and operated funeral homes across the country, they've hired a bunch of uh, commission based sales forces to go and tell older people that pre arranging means pre funding. And it's just because they're trying to make their their cut ahead of time. And it's, it's been disastrous, our family believes, for, for funeral service. There's a difference between somebody who solicits you in the middle of dinner and tells you that you're going to be a burden to your children and the funeral director that you call when, you're, when your mother dies at home and you need someone to help. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, so our family has always been willing and able to facilitate conversations amongst family members about what their plans are. But we've always told people very... Very often, it's not a it's not financially advantageous to go paying the undertaker who has to go put the money in third party trust or escrow anyway. Um, we're not commission based salespeople, so I don't feel the need to sell somebody a casket uh, 15 years before they die. To me, it's it's borderline offensive. Um, I think right now those are conversations that people should be having with each other or potentially with their attorneys. Um, more so than their funeral directors. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, I thought I, I thought it was a thing, and it's obviously it is a thing. Oh, if you spoke to most funeral directors, they'd say, "Mike, call me tomorrow. I'll sign you up." All right. Um, but to me, okay. um, to me, you know, the the funeral director is the person you call when you need help, and the salesperson is the person that calls you when they want to sell you something. You know. So, okay. Thank you for that. Another thing that. Um, I want that that came up when you were talking with Kevin. So growing up in in this, you, I mean, from the day you were born, you you were in the you were in the funeral home business. I was around and, it, yeah. And and it's not you know you probably 
went to the uh, office with your dad or your grandfather when you were a child and saw yeah. stuff that I have never seen and Kevin's never seen. It reminds me of an old TV show, Six Feet Under. Did you ever see that? Believe it or not, that was based on our family. Uh, excuse me? Yeah, I did so not know that when I You didn't that. know that, yeah. So it's an incredible story. My uncle Thomas Lynch is the writer and poet who operated the funeral homes in Milford for years, and now my cousin Mike, his son, does. But Tom wrote a book of essays okay. in the 90s called The Undertaking. It won the American Book Award and was nominated for the National Book Award. And that collection of essays is what Alan Ball, the writer and creator of Six Feet Under, read and it ended up serving as his inspiration for the show. So um, there's good? a lot of history there. We did not script it. That was not scripted. <laughs> Kevin did not feed me that. Pandemic. Yeah, it, it's an amazing. I was going to bring it up and sound really smart, but Mike beat me to the punch. <laughs> it's yeah, great. It's one of the greatest series ever. One of my favorite of all time. Yeah. And um, that was. Really, I mean, it's the only show that I can think of that is around funeral homes with a family running the funeral home. Mm -hmm. um, and that really so so was that was pretty much true to form how, you know, what how they handled the. So, yeah. So what I think what Alan Ball took from my uncle's work was just the general tone. You know, I mean. We're as dysfunctional as the next family. I don't know if we're quite as dysfunctional as the Fishers and Six Feet Under, but we're, we're probably close enough. But um, I think he wanted to portray the way that we undertakers are human beings ourselves and the way that we're coping with grief and loss ourselves. And I think also the way in which a culture at large um, deals with dead bodies and thinks about them. Um, we're among the first cultures in the history of the world uh, here in the United States in the last 20, 25 years for whom a dead body is optional at a funeral. You know, you show up now the Jews won't do it this way typically, but you know um, a lot of folks will say, well, we'll just make the body disappear. And then in, in a month we'll have a party at the country club and maybe we'll bring the urn. Um, and for Alan Ball, I think he realized that, that there was something troublesome about that and that the disconnect that we might have with the dead will represent the disconnect that we might have with the most vulnerable people in our society, whether it's the sick or the elderly or the refugee, um, the mentally ill. Um, and it's really a fascinating story. Alan Ball called my uncle like two or they were always in correspondence but he called like two or three um seasons into the series and he had had like this artistic revelation like he had had like this uh thing and he he said to my uncle he goes lynch i finally get it he goes i finally get you funeral types and my uncle said oh yeah what's that and he goes once you put a dead guy in the room you can talk about anything you want <laughs> and, um, it's it's very much true and i think the presence of the dead is really, really critical to the health of, of a society and the culture at large. And why, and it's why it's so devastating for us funeral directors right now to see the dead buried and cremated with such little witness, you know, with just the immediates there, as opposed to a whole community or, or um, family surrounding them. Um, so again, I hope if nothing else, this opens our eyes to the goodness and beauty of, of funerals moving forward. 
Well, we appreciate people like you and your family, you know, taking care of us in those times. You know, there's not a lot of conversation around this. There's not a lot. I've never seen an interview with a funeral director in my life. <laughs> Kevin, when, when Kevin brought this idea to me, I, I, I'm not kidding. I mean, I thought, I thought this was a, an interesting thing that it's one of those things that you don't want to talk about. People don't like talking about death and, and preparation. And I think you're right. The way people are being handled right now in, in New York, it's, it's, beyond scary beyond shocking i mean it reminds i mean i've i've toured uh death camps in poland sure. uh, several times and the the mass graves there's not usually mass graves and that's what they're building that's what they're right. building in new york city it's it's that shocking Right, and I don't understand it, and and I'm I'm not digging in. I'm not watching hours of TV on it. So I appreciate you trying to shed some light on it. Um, right, and, and and I think we'll we'll keep you know watching and learning, and hopefully in Michigan it doesn't get to that point. No, I mean I hope and pray it doesn't get to that point, and I hope that you know the images that people do see, um, you know, will will at the very least help them realize, you know, dead. You know, dead bodies are are important. You know, they're um, I would, for lack of a better word, I would say they're holy, and they aren't to be disposed of without meaning and and witness and ceremony. Um, my uncle has written that the dead don't care, which is probably true, but the dead matter uh, tremendously to the living, and I think that this could be a lesson for all of us to to reaffirm that in our own communities and families and so forth. Yeah, I really hope I hope we get uh, more masks and get you guys the stuff you need to be safe out there. I mean, it, it is a it, I know the doctors need them first, but man, I, you know, I really hope that the um, the call for people to do what they can to help out uh, is is continued to be heard because it's we're not there yet. We're not nearly there. Yeah, we're not there yet. But, you know, the Michigan Funeral Directors Association, the National Funeral Directors Association, um, a lot of our um, suppliers, everybody I, I know for a fact is doing everything they can and stepping up as much as they can. And um, I think I, I believe in my heart that we will get through this. It'll be painful, um, but we hope and pray that good things can come out of it somehow. And, um, you know, I'm I'm really in awe of my colleagues and certainly the nurses and the doctors and the mothers at home that are homeschooling and mothering. And I mean, it's just an incredible time um, for humanity, certainly. And um, there's a lot to be grateful for amidst the pain, I think. So we're trying to focus on that here at the funeral home as well. Okay. Well, thanks for being with us today. I know you're busy. Keep yeah. up the good work. And I, I appreciate both of you, and I hope we can get together under better times and and catch up and have a few laughs. I have just the spot, so we'll be in touch. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Thanks again. Take care. Peace. Bye. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one-on-one -on -one my whole career. What you're going to hear. We've got a lot of desperate people in the city. On my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. Thank you for watching another episode of Open Mic. Kevin Dietz and I just interviewed Patty Lynch, a funeral home director for over 12 years at the Lynch Funeral Homes. They have seven of them across Michigan. Fascinating conversation, questions, and things that I've never actually thought about. 
Um, I hope you found it interesting and uh, fascinating. Please share it with somebody who may benefit from some of the information. Like it and subscribe to our podcast. Thank you, Kevin, for being here. Good seeing you. And we'll see you next time.